and pro. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour open-line talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. To express your viewpoint, please call 804-754-1988. That's 804-754-1988. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. If you don't want to be challenged, please don't listen to today's program. <laughs> that may sound like a strange way to uh, launch into a program because normally you would have to say, you know, uh, if you listen to today's program, you are going to change in the most miraculous ways and $500 is going to come to you for the next six days and after that it's going to be $5,000 a week. And you are going to count your blessings and name them one by one. Well, we believe in counting our blessings and naming them one by one, but what are they? What is the root of those blessings? And how are we to not only receive our blessings, but bless the Lord with all our soul and forsake not all his benefits at the same time? All of that today here on Viewpoint, and the reason we've launched the program that way today is because so much that's happening in the name of Christ in our churches, on the radio, and uh, even in books and so on that are printed, is what you might call motivational faith. Well, there's nothing wrong with motivation. In fact, Jesus himself tried to motivate his disciples, but he didn't try to motivate them the way we try to motivate people today. He didn't try to sell them anything. In fact, when he tried to motivate them, he warned them that if you don't don't follow me, well, it's going to be a problem for you. And only those who truly follow me are going to be blessed. In fact, he said, if you don't forgive those that have trespassed against you, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. And he said, if you don't take up your cross, in fact, he said, if you don't take it up daily, you can't even be my disciple. Wow. That doesn't sound much like the motivational speaker today, does it? Preaching the gospel of human potential? like the latest Instagram influencer building a brand, hip, trendy, and full of, in his own words, favor, out to build a big church? Our guest today calls it the Instagramification of Christianity. He says the content is streamed, watched, and followed in mass, intoxicating to a consumeristic society. He talks about a young man who came into his church. It was quite uh, memorable, a young person first entered the church from one of the pop churches, popular culture churches. At first, the young man said that they were mean. That is, the new church that he had entered was mean because he said, we talked about sin and the need for repentance and the necessity to get over yourself in order to follow Jesus. But he decided to stick it out for a little while, supplementing his desire for more encouraging sermons by listening to celebrity preacher podcasts. Wow. Does that sound familiar, friends? And then the young man began to see the difference. And there is a difference. About 20 years ago, well, maybe 15 years ago, the Wall Street Journal contained a front-page article called A Prophet for Prophets. That was a a prophet, P-R-O-P-H-E-T, for profits, P-R-O-F-I-T-S. Remember, this is the Wall Street Journal. 
talking about one of the most prominent preachers in the country today. No, it wasn't Joel Olstein. One of the most prominent preachers in the country today was referred to by the Wall Street Journal as a prophet for prophets. Why would they do that? Because they discerned, as a secular publication, discerned that there was a radical difference between what that pastor was teaching and preaching, even though very popular and had a monstrous congregation, and what Jesus had been teaching in the Scriptures. They couldn't reconcile it. So they said he was a prophet for prophets and was more interested in marketing himself than he was the master. Well, today on Viewpoint, friends, we're going to uh, talk about how to get over ourselves. Our guest today, Deans and Sarah, says we need to get over ourselves and we need to trade in believe in yourself religion for Christ-centered Christianity. He's joining us from Tallahassee, Florida. I understand Tallahassee and Florida are becoming a very desirable place to be, Dean. Oh, it is. It's because a lot of people like our governor and some of the choices that he's, uh, he's been making. But no, outside of that, it is a great place to be, and I'm really thankful to be with you on your program today. Well, a lot of people don't quite uh, want Jesus as governor, at least not the Jesus of the Bible. In fact, uh, so great is this problem that in 1993, uh, a feature article was a cover story in Time magazine. On the front cover was a cross. In the lower right-hand corner were these words, the generation that forgot God. Bear in mind, this was 1993, and it was talking about the previous generation that had already forgotten God. Then, the feature article was called The Church Search, talking about how people were flooding back to America's churches after Gulf War I, and church would never again be the same. And here was their analysis. Remember, this was the feature article of Time magazine. Here's what they said. The church would never again be the same because Americans were looking for a custom-made God, one made in their own image. Did you see that article? I did not see that article, but I am familiar. I didn't, my, as in, I didn't see it when it came out at the time, but I am familiar with the contents. Yeah, wow. So you couldn't get that kind of message out of the pulpits of America, but apparently a liberal news magazine uh, saw through it all. Well, they knew exactly what was going on, and I believe that uh, what might have been good intentions by some of the church growth seeker-sensitive movement, I think they're almost like the godfathers of where we are today uh, with what I call the new prosperity gospel, the self-help gospel. It's interesting because... uh, you know, you've been married 18 years, I've been married 55, and uh, went from with my wife for two years before that. We were married in 1966 in Pasadena, California. Well, the church growth movement began in Pasadena, California, Fuller Seminary, and I watched its growth. My law office, uh, you didn't know I practiced law for 20 years, but I did, uh, there in Pasadena, and it was directly across the the street from one of the larger congregations in the area, a respected evangelical church that was the home for many of those Fuller Seminary professors that were launching the church growth movement. And uh, so I watched that happen for a number of years, and then it began to metastasize, also again from Southern California, into the seeker-sensitive movement in the 1990s. And accompanying that, was another movement, uh, the K-12 
charismatic and word faith movement that was taking place at the end of the 1960s and became quite prominent in the uh, uh, late 1970s and 1980s. So we had all of these movements that were taking place, and now we're experiencing yet another movement that has come out of that. One group calls it the emerging church movement, but you're calling it, well, the Instagramification of the church or of of Christianity. So we want to get into your designation, your understanding of that, and uh, we have a lot to talk about, friends. I hope you'll stay tuned. Getting over ourselves, getting over yourself. Maybe this is a message for us on the near edge of the second coming. What do you think? We'll be right back after this. Stay tuned. Again, viewpoint determines destiny. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. How did we get here from there? We want to talk about that in the next segment of the program here as we talk with our special guest, Dean and Sarah, concerning his book, Getting Over Ourselves or Getting Over Yourself, Trading Belief in Yourself Religion for Christ-Centered Christianity. Again, I take you back to Southern California. There was a pastor who became rather famous some would say notorious, he began much of the church growth movement by preaching from a theater. Ultimately, he gained such a following Hmm. that was amazing. Our guest just hung up. (laughs) So much for live broadcasting. So much for live broadcasting. Maybe I'm able to connect with him. Maybe he misunderstood. And so we'll do our best to reconnect with him because it's so important. Please hang on with us, please. Do we have Dean back with us? Yeah, I'm on a landline and was completely breaking. I couldn't hear anything you were saying. Like every two or three words was, I could, I could get. I could oh get my goodness, that's not good. I, I thought maybe you were uh, disenchanted with some of the things that we're saying here. <laughs> I couldn't not believe that that would be the case. All right, well here we are. And uh, as I was starting to say, uh, back in the late 1950s and early 1960s, a pastor became somewhat famous because of the unusual thing that he was doing and preaching from outdoors, from the roof of a theater. He ultimately transformed that into the Crystal Cathedral. His name was Dr. Robert Schuler, And here was his gospel. Please listen carefully to what he said. 
He said that the message, the true message of the gospel was not about sin and salvation. The reason for the gospel was that people didn't feel good about themselves. And so he said that it was all about your opinion of yourself. That was picked up by two major, major evangelical pastors, one in California and the other in Chicago. They were his acolytes. And they developed two of the most of the largest movements in the Christian world today. I'm not going to name them. You probably know what they are. How did they gain this kind of popularity? How did they gain this kind of spread? Was it about teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, only in part. It was more about marketing messages based partly on the Word of God, but more on the marketing philosophies of men. And that's what they got. Growth, but not spiritual growth. How are we to understand this? This is the what we have inherited now on the near edge of the second coming, and we wonder why we can't get revival, no matter how much we seem to pray for it. Maybe our guest today, Dean and Sarah, has something to say about it in his book, Getting Over Yourself. By the way, the book is available for you with on our website, saveus.org. $13 will put it in your hands. It's a $15 book, yours for $13. Uh, I hope you'll get a copy of it because it is extremely insightful. You want to really understand what's the dynamics that are going on? You really, really owe it to yourself to get this easily read book. Pastors, you need to get one for your pastor, friend. You really do. $13, we'll put it in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Now, Dean, you haven't had a whole lot of time to talk yet. I wanted to lay a broader foundation historically because you didn't live during those times for the most part, but I did. And uh, so let's talk about why you wrote this book. You say popular Christianity in America worships a God who wants us to achieve worldly happiness, make our dreams prosper, and reach our fullest potential. That's called the human potential movement. So what's this all about anyway? Yeah, I appreciate you tracing that historically. I, I'm, I'm familiar with it, but I think it's really important for people to see the trajectory of where we've come. Even before that, Schuler was influenced by Norman Vincent Peale. Absolutely, he was. Who, who, who spoke to a large audience across America and really wasn't even in the Christian context the message he was communicating often. Yep. Uh, so I, I think why we need to really talk about this and why I wrote the book is because it's a discipleship crisis we have coming right now, and we haven't even seen the full effects of it because this is the first generation of this new messaging. So the same things we saw from what was called the Reveal Study uh, from one of the churches you referenced, the mm-hmm. Church Growth Seeker Sensitive Movement, uh, that showed the discipleship crisis. I'm very fearful for what is coming from a generation that is getting much of their, I'm putting up air quotes, discipleship uh, from Instagram and from what is considered trendy, or I call it pop Christianity, popular level Christianity at the time. So I call it the new prosperity gospel, and I want listeners to really understand this term. 
uh, because with the old prosperity gospel, and of course it still exists, but what's kind of considered the classic prosperity gospel of that health and wealth kind of understanding mm-hmm. uh, that God wants you to you know, get out of debt, and he's going to heal your disease kind of stuff. This isn't talking about that. Instead, it's focusing on your personal ambitions, your achievements, and basically that God exists to make sure that your craziest and wildest dreams come true. You know uh, think what? of a life coach, think of a life coach kind uh-huh. of figure. Right. It's how God functions. Well, it's interesting because it's hitting our country and the world, actually, at a time when even the secular observers, sociologists, realize that the culture is all about me. It was about eight, ten years ago, I was leaving the Chicago airport, O'Hare, and as I was driving along the freeway, I guess that's what they call them there, I don't know, interstate, whatever, uh, there was a massive billboard up along the side, and here's what it said, me, me, me. That's all it said, me, me, me. And I thought, wow. If that doesn't translate the mind and the heart of our culture, and even the church today, I don't know what does. Definitely. And what makes it really, I guess you could say, uh, easy to miss and understand and to gloss over is that on the surface, it sounds Christian enough. You know, so they'll take, uh, you know, kind of out of context Bible verses to drive their messaging. Mm-hmm. The average person hears Bible verses and they hear words like God and faith and and, and from that, they think, oh, this is acceptable, and I like this. It's good on my ears. Uh, so they're missing what's actually taking place here. And it is a messaging that would only make sense for an affluent Western Christian culture. It would make no sense whatsoever, unrecognizable uh, to brothers and sisters of ours around the world uh, that aren't in affluent context, maybe in closed countries, persecuted countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, this messaging that basically God wants to make you happy and wants to make your wildest dreams come true uh, it is unrecognizable to most of Christianity in the world, and also I'm really concerned that it's setting a generation up to not know how to deal with suffering. Yeah, because this messaging has no answer for suffering outside the language of it. Like, 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 like to use these words, they say God wants to take your setback and turn it into a comeback. That's the language they use on how to deal with suffering. That God's going to take it and use it to make you great, right? well, rather than trying to make you, rather than to grow your faith and make you more like Christ. Instead, it's to make you a better you. I have uh, been to Africa twice in Ghana, which, by the way, was uh, deemed to be the most Christianized country in Africa. Uh, they, their, their main phrase is uh, Gina Me, which means but for God. And uh, so I was asked to go there to speak to pastors. And what I discovered was that the Christianity that was largely being exported to Africa was exactly what you're talking about. And that's why it was growing so rapidly, such that one pastor took me aside secretly and said, can you help me? He said, we're dealing with such an unbelievable thrust here that is all about marketing to oneself. And these churches are growing monumentally, and the pastors are becoming supremely rich over it. But he said, I don't want to go that way. How can you help me? What can we do? He took me about secretly because he was afraid that if somebody found out (laughs) he was talking with me about it, that they might uh, close up his own congregation. This is a serious problem, and it is metastasizing around the world 
The problem, as you said, is this is not about Christian discipleship. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. That is discipleship. The problem with discipleship is you can't market it, and you can't raise money doing it. Therefore, it doesn't sell. Therefore, it doesn't fit the American dream. And when everything's done in the name of pragmatism, mm-hmm. that's always going to be the side to which you fall. Every you you haven't time. been reading my latest book that I've been writing on the Messiah, have you? I've not. I just wrote <laughs> about that. <laughs> I can't wait to read it. I, and, and, and what? And what is? I can't wait to read it. And what is the win? The win is just people in seats. Like that's yeah. the win. So if people are coming to your services, therefore you must be doing something right. That's as as one that. pastor, I was involved uh, in, as a as a lay pastor in a very large, rapidly growing church in Southern California, and the pastor took me aside at his home one day, and he said, "I don't care how many people go out the back door as long as more come in the front door." Jeez, yeah. that was the attitude. And, yeah, that, that's the, exactly so. So, as Don Carson, uh, the theologian and theology professor, once said. We we give them enough of Jesus to be personally identified with, mm-hmm. but not so much for their personally inconvenienced. So, from a secular marketing standpoint, it's genius because you give them enough Christian language, enough Jesus, so they feel like they're in and they're spiritual and they're part of it, mm-hmm. but not a Jesus where John the Baptist would say he must increase and I must decrease. Okay, now we've laid a foundation here, and it it takes a while to kind of lay a foundation for this because we're so inculcated. We're we're swimming in a sea of uh, almost a counterfeit gospel these days. It's a, a little of this to make us feel good, make us feel spiritual, but then it becomes all about me, all about myself, even the so called worship songs. Uh, are uh, headed that direction in many respects. So let me understand. Let's let's be honest with our listeners here today, if we still have any, that is. Uh, what is your background? Quickly. So my background is I was actually raised mainline Protestant in I would call a non-gospel preaching church. Mainline Protestant in a non-gospel preaching church. Okay. Yes. I I was taught, you know, be a good person. I knew Bible stories like David and Goliath and Mm -hmm. Jonah, the big fish, and that sort of thing. Right. I never had anyone actually tell me I was a sinner who needed to be saved. Okay. And and so, and that Jesus was the only way for that to be possible. And I went to a Fellowship of Christian Athletes retreat when I was 13 13 years old, Uh and I heard the gospel. I heard the gospel for the first time. Wow. Now, if you'd ask me, before that, if I was a Christian, I would have told you yes, and my reason would have been that I believe in God. It was a lowercase g, generic God. I believe uh-huh. in God. I was a good person, and we went to church. And then you Notice graduated that. from Liberty University, which is a uh, basically a Southern Baptist uh, university, and then you uh, got theological studies at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, and you're a Baptist pastor today, and you're heavily involved with the Southern Baptists and the Religious Liberty Commission Leadership Council. So that tells us a lot about you and your background. Now, let me share mine. I grew up in a traditional evangelical uh, setting. My father was a pastor for 50 years, got his start in the holiness movement. 
And uh, so he pastored in a number of different denominations. And uh, so that's the environment that I grew up in, traditional evangelical church. Then in the late 1970s, I was introduced uh, to the charismatic movement. And my wife and I uh, spent some time in some situations, congregations and groups that were oriented that way. We also were introduced to the word faith movement. And so we learned a lot of things that were coming down the pike there about taking God at his word, believing God, and so on. But then things began to change. Things began to move from truly believing God about God's will to believing God about fulfilling my will. We'll get to that in a moment. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, on the front page are two great videos. First, an interview and discussion of Chuck's book, Out of Egypt. Also, a great TV interview with Chuck regarding his book, Seduction of the Saints. Much more videos, a for pastors only section, and also you can view Chuck's weekly teachings. All at his website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. Also on Chuck's website, listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast. Listen to the archives. Maybe you missed a program. Check it out at saveus.org. Also, there are some great resources, hospitality information, also information about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, newsletters, articles, prophecy, prayer and revival information, all at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. Today we're taking a look, an inside look, much like God gave to Ezekiel when he said, I want you to dig a little hole through the temple wall, and I want you to see what's going on in there. You can read about that in the book of Ezekiel, by the way, and what Ezekiel found made him sick, made God sick too. And I think God is probably a bit sick about what he sees when we tunnel into the church today as we know it, particularly in America and what we're exporting around the world. And we're certainly not setting the stage for preparing people for the difficult times that are coming. If you think the times are difficult now, you ain't seen nothing yet because Jesus told us it was going to be that way. But we're not prepared. That's why here on this program, Almost every day we say we're preparing the way of the Lord for history's final hour. So, this is a very, very important conversation here today with our special guest, Dean Insera from Tallahassee. Dean, the reason I went through the identification of our respective backgrounds is because I think people need to know, we have listeners from all over uh, the the realm within the broader Christian community today. We have traditional evangelicals. We have uh, uh, those who are mainline uh, churchgoers. We have uh, Roman Catholics. We have all kinds of folk, but they're all seeking the Lord. They're all seeking the Lord, and they realize that something is not right, not only in our government, but in God's house. They realize that. 
Here's the problem that we have. As human beings, we tend to swing on a pendulum. We either are all liberal or we're all tough. As you said, the one, one fellow said, mean-spirited, evangelical, Bible-believing Christians. Uh, we're either all believing in faith to see and believe that God can heal and will heal and that he will provide, and then we're prone to take that message, which is biblical, and turn it into a message that's all about me and my prosperity. It's all about me. And so we market that which is good in the Word of God to the flesh, and then it reaps corruption. And you're talking primarily, I think, about the corruption that has taken place in a genuine biblical message. Am I right? Yes, and so where it begins is really ascribing promises to God that he never made, uh, you know, from God that he never made to people. So people are being told that God keeps his promises, God keeps his word, mm-hmm. and by that they're not talking about our salvation, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it in Christ. As not, they're not talking about the fact that God has fulfilled the Old Testament promises in the coming of the Messiah and his death and resurrection. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's talking about your achievements, that God wants to you know, allow you to achieve this, and he has a plan for your life. And that plan does not mean your sanctification. Uh, that plan means something successful happening to you. And I want to be someone who actually believes that the greatest blessing of God is actually God himself. Like, okay. knowing the Lord is the greatest blessing. That's not the message being proclaimed. It's very dependent upon things of this world to be blessed by God. All right. Now, you gave a quote from Pastor Ray Ortland. Uh, by the way, uh, Ray Ortland pastored the Lake Avenue Congregational Church directly across from my law office uh, in oh. Pasadena, California. So when I uh, ran for the state legislature back in 1977, I went to his office and I met with Ray, and he was a dear brother. My wife deeply revered his wife, Anne Ortland. But here's what Ray Ortland said. Christianity shows us something profound. Moment by moment, we are either centered on God or we're centered on ourselves, and there is no alternative. That is a clear-cut uh, statement that helps set the course, I think, for the rest of our conversation. Did you know Ray? I, I know the younger Ray. Oh, the younger yeah, Ray. Oh, so this yes. is probably the younger Ray, Ray Jr. Yes. Ah, yes. okay. Yeah. Well, that yeah. tells you about my age, doesn't it? <laughs> well, he speaks about his father regularly. And yeah. His father had on his life. But now Ray Jr.'s sons are all in ministry as well. They're all pastors. Okay. Now, um, the chapter titles that you have chosen are amazing. <laughs> I uh, chuckle to myself uh, because you've chosen them uh, very interestingly, and I want to just read them uh, because you have a title and then you have a like a subtitle to explain it. First of all, Chapter 1, Loserville, is Christianity for the cool, trendy, and successful. Number 2, The Shenanigans, what goes on inside a new prosperity church? Number 3, what's the hype? The draw of worldly Christianity. Number four, hashtag filter. The promise of the socially approved life. Number five, this is so boring. The new prosperity cardinal sin of settling for the mundane. Number six, mum's the word. 
light on doctrine and theology as a means to grow the church. Number seven, all hat, no cattle. I really caught that one. The false adver- uh, advertisement of new prosperity churches. Number eight, context is king. How selective Bible verses fuel the movement. Number nine, sharing the spotlight, pursuing greater things for ourselves in Jesus' name. Number 10, curb your enthusiasm, the unmet expectations of the new prosperity gospel. Number 11, the great escape, the aftermath of pop Christian discipleship. Number 12, most likely to succeed, pursuing godly ambition for a change. Number 13, heavenly-minded earthly food, uh, earthly good, is the best really yet to come. Both yes and no. So, very, very interesting and aptly titled chapters that got my attention, and I think uh, explain the context of that. So, uh, this matter of gospel light, we're not talking about L-I-G-H-T, we're talking about L-I-T-E, light on doctrine and theology as a means to grow the church. Unfortunately, this has become almost the the mantra and the modus operandi of even evangelical churches today. How did this happen? I think, again, it goes back to the whole idea of always trusting in the pragmatic, you know, whatever works the best. Uh, so what happens, we have people leave our church all the time uh, because of the church's views on biblical sexuality. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's easy to say, oh, the liberal churches are dying, it's only the evangelical churches that are growing, uh, and statistically, that's true, but the definition of evangelical is very broad nowadays. In fact, it uh, has so, changed dramatically since it yeah. was first conjured by Billy Graham. Yes, so a lot of these new prosperity gospel churches, not even a lot, all of them, would be classified as evangelical because they're not liberal theologically. Uh, the thing is that makes it so interesting is I, when I talk to some of these new prosperity gospel churches, these self-help pastors, they would affirm biblical sexual ethics if you have lunch with them and ask them questions. The issue is they just won't touch it from the pulpit because it's seen as too controversial. People might get offended. They might leave. Uh, so that's really happening. So how, this, how we got here uh, was that as certain things became more and more controversial in our culture, I think a generation before probably would have been divorced. Uh, that once divorce came into play, a lot of churches stopped talking about that. Right. That was now in the, the 1970s. Now the point, divorce in the pulpit is nowhere to be found in Christian culture. In and fact. the same way, biblical sexuality uh, has become a major issue as well, and also the doctrines. But they're not, yeah. not going to hit hard on things that are very uh, basic, like Christ alone for salvation. They'll believe that, but instead they're going to talk about how your faith needs to increase. You need to take on the mountain. Uh, you need to you know, prepare yourself for the greater things to come. They're going to message on, major on those kind of things. So it's primarily what you would call... Uh, multi-level marketing, motion, uh, motivational speaking, with a little yes, God think, tacked in. Yeah, and I think the the bridge between the classic prosperity gospel and the new prosperity gospel is Joel Osteen. Uh, because Osteen comes across, I guess, less weird or mm-hmm. extreme than the old prosperity gospel, but he's not as hip and cool as the new prosperity gospel. But the messaging from Osteen is very similar Yep. what these guys are saying today. Well, They're, it was manifested by his book, Your Best Life Now, 
yeah, which was echoed by Oprah Winfrey's book, Your Best Life Now. So yeah, that's that why they were birds of a feather, and she came to sit on the front row of his church, and together they had a mutual blessing society. Yes. I, I really believe that he is just my personal opinion, but I really believe that he's the bridge. Interesting. Okay. And by the way, we're not here to denigrate persons. This is not about no. personality. Uh, this is about a serious conversation about what's happening in the Church of Jesus Christ, or purports to be the Church of Jesus Christ, but is not teaching the message of Jesus Christ. And therefore, when Jesus Christ returns, he will not recognize the message, perhaps not even the messengers. This is a very dangerous and serious situation, friends. No, we're not judging, in other words, not condemning people. But we are called to discern. We must discern. In fact, we're commanded to discern. Otherwise, you could never tell the difference between good and evil, righteousness and unrighteousness. Yeah, and so, Paul named names. Ex- Paul named yes, names. he did. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I have tried to avoid, unless it's something very, very open, when you mention Joel Olstein, everybody knows, claims to have a 45,000-member church, the largest in the country, although there are others that are trying to compete now. Uh, so I didn't even mention the name of the person, of the pastor with an 18,000-member church uh, that made the front page of the Wall Street Journal, a prophet for yeah. prophets, because it's not about the personages. It's about what has happened in our churches, and we have been suckered in by a marketing system that is ignoring the message of the master and replacing it with a marketable, saleable message that grows churches. That's really, well said. isn't that what we're really talking about? Yes, that's well said. And I had All a right. seminary professor, I had a seminary professor, I'll be quick here, uh, that used to tell us this, never preach a sermon that would still be true if Jesus hadn't died and rose again. Whoa. All right, we'll be right back after this, friends. You got to get this book, Getting Over Yourself. Got to do it. We'll be right back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Persecution is coming to America. In fact, it's already here. Just read the news, listen to this program concerning the advance of the assault 
on individual Christians and others concerning their free choice, even with regard to taking a vaccine that uh, you might believe is insulting the temple of the Holy Spirit, your body. That's maybe where we ought to focus about ourselves. On the other hand, uh, many of us are succumbing, succumbing to a counterfeit gospel representing a somewhat counterfeited Christ, which means we're being set up for a counterfeit Christ to come. That figure is called the Antichrist, a counterfeit Christ that will be marketable to the world. For those of you who have gotten my book, Antichrist, How to uh, Discern the Great Imposter, uh, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't have the book, I urge you to get it. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org, Antichrist. Uh, how to identify the coming imposter. But today, on Viewpoint, we're digging, probing inside our own minds and hearts. Before we go further, I want to make it clear. I believe that God wants us to prosper. But what does that mean? It means that God wants us to fulfill everything and have everything that we need to fulfill his particular purpose for your life and for mine. So when the Apostle Paul says, give as the Lord has prospered you, then you give as the Lord has prospered you. It doesn't mean that you're to make $10 million or $100 million or to have this, that, or the other that you want. It's a matter of fulfilling his kingdom, will, and purpose. Do you agree with that, uh, Dean? Sure, yeah. And I think that we have to be, be clear uh, that it's fine to have an abundance. You know, God never says that having money is wrong. He tells us the right. love of money is wrong. But God never promises in the Scriptures that we personally, as New Testament covenant believers, are going to have earthly riches. They're not promised to us. Right. So I'm just really, I, I fear for people that think that that is what God has said and are going to be set up uh, for disappointment with God and have a coming faith crisis when those things don't come true. And what's happening in the new prosperity gospel is now things such as living a normal, everyday, kind of basic, mundane life, which most of us live, <laughs> you know, for the glory of God, is viewed as a bad thing. You know, it's viewed as like settling. They, they, they like to use the phrase, settling for less than God's best. And by that, they mean basically you not working your dream job or being famous or having lots of money when most people do work just normal jobs, provide for their family, and just try to be faithful church members and good husbands and wives and parents. And that's not enough in the New Prosperity Gospel. There always has to be more out there for you. Uh, so what I call it in the book is chronic discontentment. Mm. And that's what, that, that's what this message breeds for people. We're yes, seeing it, it affect mar- I see it affect marriages, uh, affect relationships. Uh, church, uh, in terms of uh, staying loyal to a church that's healthy, I mean, it, it, it spreads deep and wide. It sure does, and it reminds me of the song that Andre Crouch penned back in the 70s, To God Be the Glory, Great Things He Has Done. The way it's it's really translated today is, To God Be the Glory for All the Glory That I'm Getting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the whole, in- well, John the Baptist said, He must increase, I must decrease. I referenced that earlier. And the New Prosperity Gospel, they think that's great. They'll say, amen, Jesus must increase. Just please let me increase with him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, they're fine as long as they get the spotlight and the platform and what they want to. And it's really, it's become a mainstream Christian messaging on Instagram and in popular Christian culture. It really has. 
This is not fringe, is what I mean. This is not no. a fringe thing. No, it is not. It has become mainstream, and uh, it's deeply troubled, troubling. Uh, the denomination that my father uh, began in uh, after he left the Salvation Army uh, was a, a holiness movement church founded back in the early eight, uh, late 1800s, and today that denomination has completely and radically, cha- radically changed uh, to embrace this very thing. Everybody, let, let's dig a little deeper into this, because Jesus said, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So what we've done is interpreted, okay, Jesus said, I'll build my church, so we need to get on board and build his church. No, Jesus didn't say that we're to build his church. He said we're to make disciples. He's to build his church. The problem is we've decided to build churches and have refused to make disciples because that's too hard and doesn't market well. So now we're in deep confusion. The church gathered was to be the place of discipleship for the saints. Now the church gathered is being used as a marketing device to seduce unbelievers in to receive a false gospel. So everything has been turned upside down, and if we're on the near edge of the second coming, Dean, we're in deep trouble. Yeah, and it always can be rationalized as okay, I guess I guess kosher, uh, because people came. They were here. Look at the crowd. We, and the, the famous phrase is, we must be doing something right, yeah, because people walked in the door when, I mean, Jesus had people, just after he fed them over 5,000 people bread and fish, he had people walk away. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's so exactly what are they being reached to? And the phrase, what you win them with, you win them to, is really important. If you win someone with the new prosperity gospel, guess what? You just won them to the new prosperity gospel. Exactly. If, we re- if you win someone, I think God does the drawing. I'm just using words like just lingo here, but if we reach someone with, the actual biblical message of Christianity, guess what we did? We just reached someone to that. And that's what we want to be about, making disciples. That's the call on our lives. And discipleship is not defined by a Western American 21st century understanding. It's defined by the Scriptures. We have to make sure that we're clear on that. Exactly. Another problem that we've had is that we have redefined discipleship as evangelism. And uh, yes, we are to... uh, the, the gospel is the evangel. It's the, the good news. It's the reaching out with the good news. But evangelism is not the gospel, nor is it the ultimate expression of the gospel. Discipleship is what Jesus called us to, not making babies. Yeah, and we want to make sure our churches are both and, that we're white hot for evangelism and dead serious about discipleship. But in our evangelism, we have to make sure we're actually winning people to the biblical Jesus. Right. Not some expression of him to make us feel comfortable and someone more likely to, to trust in a Christ that's actually not the Christ of the Bible. So in my evangelism, I want to actually reach someone to Jesus Christ as understood by the Scriptures, not a Jesus that we made up to make us feel better. Exactly. But when we, when we uh, uh, adopt the church growth movement concept and wed it to evangelism, then what we've done is actually made the purpose of the church gathered evangelism rather than discipleship. So yep. then you end up with people who are coming to church thinking that they're being discipled when in fact they are not. 
they are actually being given milk at best. And that's what Bill Hybels discovered in Chicago with a 20,000-member church. And after years and years of this kind of message, seducing the people in to grow the church, they did a study and revealed that the people were radically undiscipled, and it was so, well, embarrassing. It was profoundly embarrassing. And did they change? No. They decided to just kind of tweak a little bit because they couldn't sacrifice growing the big church. And that kind of discipleship will never withstand the coming tides of secularism and persecution and all the things the American church is about to experience for the first time. There's no way it can withstand all of that. It's not built on the rock. It's built on the sand. Exactly. There's no way. And that's why we have to care about this. We're not being nitpicky. Uh, you know, we're, we're not being anything of the sort. We're going, this is a crisis that we must be aware of in the American Christian culture right now. And we had the answer to it. It's returned actually the Jesus Christ of the Scriptures. It calls us to pick up our cross and to follow him. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw men unto me. But what happens if we lift ourselves up in the name of Christ? We have it backwards. <laughs> and, we're, and we're doing something the opposite of what Jesus said. So again, it sounds good and feels good. We say, oh, it's for God's glory. It's in Jesus' name. But it's actually, I'm the one being promoted. And God is not going to share his glory with anyone else. What we're doing is we're trying to rob God of his glory, which we actually don't have the power to do, because God's never going to let that be possible. So here we are thinking that we're achieving something great for God, when actually God's not impressed because he knows our hearts. He knows we're trying to achieve something great for ourselves. So if, 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 if your understanding of doing something, I guess you could say, great for God or lifting Jesus up is about you having a certain opportunity or a platform, you need to rethink the way you think about Jesus being lifted up, because it's about a lot of times it's about when no one's looking. I mean, Jesus said when you pray, go in the room and shut the door. Christ's about no fanfare. It's about not anything of elevating you, but elevating Christ. And sadly, this is a lost art in our understanding of Christianity today. I believe in emotion. Uh, God sure. made us emotional beings, and uh, this is not just about some sort of... Uh, dead, staid kind of uh, a belief system and worship system and so on. I believe in emotion. God made us to be emotional people. On the other hand, when you hear people come out of their worship services and are bragging about their worship, wasn't that great worship? It's indicative to me, Dean, that they weren't worshiping God necessarily, they were worshiping their emotions. Yeah, how sad if your understanding of worship is tied to a style or, 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 tie, you know, or tied to a certain preference rather than actually the, the glory of Christ. And, and I think God gives emotions too, and, and I think that we see the half the Psalms are of somebody being emotional about their relationship with God, right? I mean, it's really yeah. a Christian, Christian posture to be emotional, so the question I had to ask is, what are my emotions based on? Is it based on a key change or a big music moment, or is it based on the actual truth we're singing? Or, or the volume of the music. Yeah, or the big, or a big pipe organ with a processional and a 400-person choir. That can be the exact same thing. It could be. You know, it absolutely yeah, could it, be. So we've I, got I to be very careful now. We want to make sure that we're worshiping the God of creation, the God of the Bible, and not a reconstructed God uh, in our own image. So important. And 
friends, we really have only scratched the surface here. We really have. And I urge you to get a copy of this wonderful book. I warned you from the very beginning. I warned you, you might not want to listen to today's program, but you need to. You might want to listen to it again. And you might want to get a copy of the book, Getting Over Ourselves. This is about self, about the exaltation of self. Self-esteem, as Robert Schuller said, that's the real sin. People don't have enough self-esteem. Is that what the Bible teaches? Now, as we wrap up, George Barna said, and he is a pollster to the church, has been respected now for 25 years uh, as a pollster to the church. He did a, a, a poll of pastors, evangelical pastors, and uh, asked them whether what they believe concerning the hot issues today, like the issues of uh, divorce, the issues of homosexuality, and uh, uh, all of these kinds of things, and abortion and all that. And uh, 80% of the pastors that responded said that they believed that the Bible spoke very clearly to those things, and they were prohibited by Scripture. So then he asked them, okay, are you teaching or preaching about these things? Now, instead of 80% responding yes, only 20% responded yes. Now, here's the problem. How many times have I heard, Dean, when discussing these issues, people will say, but my pastor preaches the word. They don't understand the problem. The problem isn't whether your pastor preaches the word, it's what he doesn't preach. That's where a major part of our problem is. Got to get over ourselves, friends. Wonderful book. $13. We'll put the $15 book in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org. We're confronting the deepest issues of America's heart and home from God's eternal perspective. No question about it. Urge you to become a partner with us. Get the book, Getting Over Yourself. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Become a partner. Send your gifts by by faith to Save America Ministries. We make no promises other than that God pours out a blessing upon those who truly work with Him. God bless and be a blessing. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.